Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Supreme Court of Florida is now in session. All we have calls to plead, draw near, give attention, you shall be heard. God save the United States, the great state of Florida, and this honorable court. Ladies and gentlemen, the Supreme Court of Florida, please be seated. Good morning and welcome to the Florida Supreme Court. The first case on our docket today is advisory opinion to the Attorney General relating to all voters vote in primary elections for state legislature, governor, and cabinet. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, we're here this morning on an advisory opinion to the Attorney General regarding the citizen initiative entitled All Voters Vote in Primary Elections. You'll hear first this morning from the three opponents of ballot placement, beginning with, on behalf of the Attorney General, myself, my name is Jeffrey D'Souza. Uh, you'll then hear from counsel for the Republican Party of Florida, Mr. Benjamin Gibson, and counsel for the Florida Democratic Party, Mr. Rob McNeely, followed by counsel for the sponsor who will argue in support of ballot placement, and then collectively the opponents will try to reserve a minute of time for rebuttal. The proposed amendment, if adopted by voters, would fundamentally alter the way that uh, Florida primary elections proceed, and the ballot summary violates section 101.161 because it does not adequately apprise voters of those substantial changes. In the I'm, short sorry, time I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I ask you about that? It seems like our case law, starting from when this statute was first adopted, kind of bypassed any effort to define the term chief purpose. And instead, we went into this kind of more abstract notion of, you know, what's the overall effect? What do voters need to know to be well informed? And so, if we were going to sort of go back to basics and define chief, define that term chief purpose, how, are, how is one supposed to know what the chief purpose of a measure is or what, what does that term mean? So an explanatory statement of the chief purpose we think would be a statement that explains the core functions of what the proposed amendment would do. And I don't know that I could give you an answer that's really any more specific than that because what will be a core function of an amendment will depend on what the actual text of the amendment is. Okay, so doesn't that then sort of take you away from having to describe sort of these effects? You know, I mean, it seems like in a lot of these cases the, the debate comes down to how much do you have to describe what the consequences will be or what is the status quo that you're changing, et cetera. And so, if chief purpose just means the core function of the actual proposal itself, doesn't that kind of take you away from some of that other stuff that ends up being what we mostly end up arguing about in these cases? Well, your case law talks about um, describing significant legal effects, and I think it's two sides of the same coin. What is a, coin, a, a core function is going to be a substantial legal effect of the amendment. Uh, well, why doesn't the second sentence of the ballot summary do that? 
Well, it, it seems to me when I read all candidates for an office, including party-nominated candidates, appear on the same primary ballot, um, that is signaling a dramatic change. Um, um, and I don't understand why that's not sufficient to really uh, point the voters to what is, uh, is happening here. So, Chief Justice Kennedy, th there are... There are a number of problems with that sentence itself, and I think that my friends will get into some of that, including the fact that uh, that phrase, including party-nominated candidates, is in and of itself misleading because, in point of fact, uh, at least as the term party-nominated candidates is typically understood uh, by voters and under the Florida Election Code, there will be no party-nominated candidates after the proposed amendment, and yet the ballot summary tells voters there will but continue the, the to be. The proposed amendment specifically authorizes the parties uh, to, um, uh, it says that uh, nothing in this subsection shall prohibit a party from endorsing or otherwise supporting a candidate as provided by law, and nothing shall prohibit a political party from nominating a candidate to run for office under this subsection. Yes, so that term, nominate, is a very specific term of art in modern Florida election code law, and it means a party-nominated candidate is that party's sole representative on the ballot, which we know well, after this, this amendment would not be true. But obviously this is an amendment of the Constitution which is changing that structure. So, I mean, I'll, I'm just yeah, so, so I'm the problem is that the ballot, baffled by that argument. So if the proposed amendment and the sponsors want to uh, radically redefine these terms, they have to do so in a way um, that the ballot summary encapsulates and, and warns voters of it, and I think that's the problem. That the issue that we've identified, though, and that I'd like to spend my brief time today on, is the fact that the proposed amendment, if adopted, would eliminate important rights possessed not only by individual voters who are members of a party, but also by the parties themselves. Uh, and the ballot summary does not sufficiently apprise voters of the fact that those rights will be taken away. The first, and, and uh, so I want to discuss those rights and also uh, explain why that matters. Voters under current law, if they are a registered member of a party, have the right to cast a direct vote in support of their preferred party nominee. That direct vote is entirely a creature of statutes which give them that right. And parties also have a corresponding right to a state-sponsored election process, effectively uh, a state-sponsored apparatus that allows them to facilitate that direct vote by all of their parties. If that right were to be taken away, and assuming that the ballot summary is accurate when it says there will continue to be party nominations, that will necessarily be done as a practical matter in a way that does not enfranchise, like under current law, does not enfranchise the average everyday voter to cast a vote for the party's nominee. And I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, and it seems like that's kind of an important part of the arguments here, and I'm wondering what your position on this is. Do you read the amendment as taking away the authority of the legislature to have a state-sponsored election for the nomination of candidates? In other words, could the legislature, if, it, if this thing were to become law, could the legislature allow for a state-sponsored election to nominate candidates that would occur before this all voters vote primary? Is that, is, that a, is that prohibited by the amendment? I don't think that the amendment, Justice Sweeney, expressly prohibits that, but it would abolish the existing primary election system that is the state-sponsored mechanism. But doesn't, doesn't your argument, though, really depend on, on, if it doesn't prohibit it, 
And I think it might, and I'm curious to hear what the sponsor says about that. But if it doesn't prohibit it, then wouldn't we have to sort of speculate about what the legislature would or wouldn't do in response to this in order to, to go along with what you're saying? No, so our, our point is a very specific one, which is that there is currently under the Florida Election Code a guaranteed right of individual members of the party and the party itself for every registered voter who is a member of that party to cast their direct vote in support of their preferred candidate. That guaranteed right will be taken away. Now, the legislature may have some way to effectuate um, a sort of pre-primary nomination process, but that doesn't exist currently. Uh, well, th that wouldn't exist if the proposed amendment were to pass. It exists right now by virtue of sections 100.061 and 101.021. Okay, Council, you've now used up yes, all your time, you. plus a, a, another minute. I will give you, uh, I'll still give you your minute for a rebuttal and Appreciate I'll that. afford uh, uh, time to the other side Thank to you. make up for that, or equivalent time to the other side. May it please the court, Benjamin Gibson here on behalf of the Republican Party of Florida. As the party of more than 4.7 million Republican voters, we are here today in opposition to the proposed amendment because, as was stated earlier, the ballot title and summary are affirmatively misleading and do not clearly and unambiguously inform the voter of the amendment's chief purpose. And going back to talking a little bit about what we had talked about, about party nominated and that inclusion of the word including party nominated. I think the reason why this is so misleading um, and one reason why we're asking the court to deny ballot placement is because the text of the summary differs, differs from the text of the actual amendment. If you look at, and this is, this is something this court has warned, warned against uh, in wordsmithing. If you look at the text of the amendment, it uses very clear language. It says, all candidates qualifying for election to the office shall be placed on the same ballot. But then if you go to the summary, it uses different words. It says all candidates for an office, and then it inserts the word in the phrase, including party nominated candidates appear on the same ballot. So the summary language is then misleading voters into believing that parties are still gonna have the ability to nominate a candidate of their choice, a sole candidate that will appear on the ballot and, and be the party nominee. Now I think one of the things that- and we I know, I know, I'm, I'm struggling to see where they get the idea that that's gonna be the sole uh, party uh, candidate of a particular party. Justice Kennedy, it Because it says all candidates for an office, including party nominated candidates. Right, and, and the, the term party nominated candidates, uh, the sponsor will argue that it's not a legal term of art. But if you look at throughout the Florida Election Code and if, if you look at the common understanding of what a party nomination is. In fact, primary election is defined in Florida law as an election preceding the general election for the sole purpose of producing a party nominee. So here you don't have just one party nominee. And, and going back to, to Justice Meniz's question, you know, can the legislature create this, this, this separate process prior to this new jungle primary, they could, but whoever is gonna then be on the ballot is not going to be a true party nominee as the parties understand it today. But so, I mean, one of the things I'm struggling with is if you have a basic understanding of how we do things in Florida, and if you actually vote, you do, and you read the summary and give it a few seconds of thought, you're going to realize 
the implications of it, it seems to me, and, and I'm just struggling as to why that's not true. I mean, it, it explains what it does, it seems, accurately. The summary explains what the proposed text does accurately, and, and the implications should be clear to anybody who has a basic knowledge of the way we vote now, why is that not so correct? So I think, I think we, we uh, and if you look at our, our reply brief on page eight, we give an example, a visual example, of what it looks like from, what a, what a hypothetical ballot from the 2018 gubernatorial election, what that would look like under the words of the summary, where it says that a party-nominated candidate will appear, and then what it looks like under the actual text of the amendment. On one, you have the summary, which basically looks like the general election ballot today. You have you know, one party-nominated candidate from the Republican Party, one from the Democratic Party, some NPA candidates, a write-in candidate. Then you look at the text of the amendment where it says all qualifying candidates. All qualifying candidates means that anybody can do it. And essentially what the, what the amendment does without telling, informing the voter in the summary, is it equates a party nomination with a party endorsement. Those, are t those two things are not the same. So today, a party nominee is the sole person on the ballot, the person who gets to garner the electoral support from the entire party. Now, you know, maybe if the, the, the amendment is self-executing, so we don't know if the legislature will do anything, but it, say the legislature does indicate on the ballot, this person is the party nominee. Well, now you're saying that, well, there's just one candidate, maybe they have an asterisk next to their name, but there's still other candidates from that political party on the ballot, and that's fine. Once again, this court's role is not to judge the merits of this proposed amendment, but the, the job is to look at, is there a clear and unambiguous explanatory statement of the chief purpose of the amendment? And if there, if there is not, then regardless of the merits, you're supposed to deny ballot placement. And I'm sorry here, to interrupt you. So, but the, under the actual text of the proposal, there's nothing that would prevent the legislature from saying, if this were to pass, that the only candidates whose party affiliation could appear on the ballot would be the ones who are nominated by the party, right? It doesn't require that everybody's party affiliation be listed. So you could imagine a ballot that just had, you know, for the nominees, the party affiliation and everybody else just had their name on there. Well, for, for one, party affiliation, and again, the sponsor argues that party affiliation is a broad term that could encompass nomination, it could encompass... Right, no, but I'm just saying in terms of what would appear on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, they, they could. They could still say that this is the party nominee, but the key here is that the amendment is redefining what has been in place for over a century in this state of what a party nominee is. Our, our primary elections have been recognized by this court going back to 1913. When, when, when compulsory well, primaries came into being. It perhaps redefines how the party will actually nominate its candidate, right? I mean, in subsection four, it says, nothing in this subsection shall prohibit a political party from nominating a candidate to run for office under this subsection. So the actual text of the amendment actually seems to anticipate the possibility of the party continuing to nominate a candidate in some fashion. It, 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 it equates a party nomination to a party endorsement. So today, a party could... Well, why why but, is that? But no, it continues on, though. And then it says, nothing in this subsection shall prohibit a party from endorsing or otherwise supporting a candidate as provided by law. So it seems to make the distinction in the text between an endorsement or supporting as compared to nominating a candidate. And I think your point is how that candidate is nominated in the current primary system would be eliminated by this amendment. 
Is, it am would, I, and I, am think, I understanding your argument correctly? Yes, and I, I, think, I think the biggest difference is you're looking at the text. What the voter has when they go to booth, to go to the voting booth, is the title and the summary, and that's it. And the summary itself, by inserting the words, including party-nominated candidates, that's misleading. I see my time is up, so we ask the court to, for all these reasons, to deny ballot placement. Thank you. May it please the court, Mr. Chief Justice, Justices. Uh, my name is Rob McGeeley, the Messer Caparella Law Firm here in Tallahassee, appearing this morning on behalf of the Florida Democratic Party. And the party opposes the amendment because it is misleading in ballot title and ballot summary and because it engages in, in long rolling. And picking up on some of the conversation that we've already heard this morning, we would suggest that this one is akin to the, the case of Askew v. Firestone, where the court said the problem with the ballot summary is not with what the summary says, but with what it doesn't say. And neither the ballot title nor the summary say that the proposed amendment abolishes party primaries. They don't say that it changes a 106-year-old statutory definition of primary elections. They don't say that the 9.7 million registered voters in Florida who have chosen a party affiliation would lose their ability by direct vote to choose their party nominee for the general election. And it doesn't say that if the political parties still wish to nominate a candidate for this new jungle primary, then the parties must do so through some unknown, undefined, undisclosed process that has never been used since 1913. This court's jurisprudence on ballot title and ballot summaries stresses that sponsors must be committed, must be deeply committed, not to getting their initiative on the ballot, but to not being misleading in their ballot title and their ballot summary. As long as they're not log rolling, if the summary is accurate and objective and neutral, then it should go on the ballot. But that's not this case. That phrase, party-nominated candidates, creates a, a number of problems. Now, the sponsors have argued in their answer brief that uh, the major parties will nominate candidates through some pre-primary process that will happen prior to and separate from this new all-voters vote primary. But the problem is neither the title nor the summary disclose that. They don't say that. Indeed, there's nothing in the proposed amendment about its impact on primaries. And here's our chief concern. But I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how can you say that if there's nothing in the summary about the impact on primaries when it describes this new system? I mean, it seems like the most that you could say, and it might be, it might, under our case law, it might be a problem, is that it doesn't explain to people the background context that they might need to be able to understand. But I mean, it obviously talks about the effect on primaries because that's what the whole summary is about. Well, but it, 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 the difficulty is it uses familiar terms in an unfamiliar and undefined way. And so by taking a term that has pretty much been consistent since 1913 that describes primary elections as elections where the parties nominate their candidates to the general election. But, wait, but, but isn't it true that in Florida, we have nonpartisan primaries. And that's, a part of, that's part of the backdrop in Florida. We have city election uh, primaries. We have school board primaries. We have uh, judicial primaries that are nonpartisan. It's not about 
nominating um, a party candidate. So that the idea that a primary, uh, that the concept of a primary is exclusively for partisan nominations just flies in the face of the, of, of, of the election code, doesn't well, it? I, I would certainly agree that there are other contests in Florida that use that term primary election. Not for state legislature, not for governor, not for cabinet, which are the three races, uh, types of races that are at, are at issue here. But, but if I were to tell you that if this passes for the gubernatorial election, all candidates will appear on the primary ballot and all voters, registered voters, will vote, aren't I telling you exactly what's going to happen? Well, in, to, in, in a sense, yes, but in a sense, definitely no. And, and by implication, then, I'm telling you exactly what's not going to happen. It's not going to be the way it was before, because now every candidate is on the ballot and everybody votes. Well, and, and I that's, think there's the key word, Your Honor, uh, by implication. If they're changing a 106-year-old process for these, for these races, um, doing it by implication is misleading. Doing it in a way that is contrary to what the statute says when it defines primary elections is misleading. Doing it in a way that uh, disenfranchises write-in candidates, that disenfranchises no-party affiliation candidates is, is misleading. And the proposed amendment doesn't say anything about write-in candidates or How does it disenfranchise NPS. anybody? Well, because under current law, both write-in candidates and NPA candidates have direct to general election eligibility. Once they qualify, write-in candidates' name doesn't go on the ballot, of course, but they get a space on the general election for a write-in. Um, and for NPA candidates, once they qualify and pay their fee, well, so they uh, go their on, name they, goes they, on. Their the opportunity is in the primary. And be that as it may, it should be disclosed. And it doesn't say that. So you, you could. But it is. It is because it, it says everybody goes on the, uh, all candidates go on the primary ballot and the two highest vote getters advance to the general election. I, I, again, I'm just, I cannot, I cannot follow uh, uh, your reasoning of how that disenfranchises anybody. Well, because when you have, when you have a candidate, like a, uh, an NPA candidate, who currently has a statutory ability to appear on a general election, Right? And you have a write-in candidate who has the ability to appear there. If the proposed amendment is changing that and doesn't even mention those candidates, then some voter, well, an it's average voter. In the, they're included in the term all candidates. I, 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 that, is, that is encompassing, isn't it? All? All, all, all candidates. Sure, that means, that means everybody who is qualified for the office comes in, and that's fine. But what is the effect of that? The effect of that is that these candidates who have that general election eligibility right now have it removed. That may be good policy, it may not. But the point is, it's not disclosed. Can I ask you a question? Do you, do you think that, the, that 101-161 assumes that there is one objectively knowable chief purpose? To, to a proposal? I, I, I don't. I don't think there's one objectively knowable chief purpose, and I don't think that... So how are we... Uh, part of my problem with this whole area of the law is it seems like there's so much subjectivity and there's so little guidance to people on the front end as to what they need to do in these things. So how are we 
how are we supposed to objectively apply the term chief purpose? All right. And I see my time's expired. May I? You can yes, please answer, yeah. Um, I, I would submit, kind of synthesizing the jurisprudence in this area, that the chief, chief purpose um, is sought by looking at what the sponsors say it is, but that's not dispositive. They look at what the sponsors say it is, not just in their briefs, but also in their, uh, in their advertising, in their marketing. For example, here the sponsors say the chief purpose is conducting primary elections. That's not the chief purpose. The chief purpose of this amendment is to abolish party primaries in order to set up a mechanism to elect more moderate candidates. That's what their website says. That's what the National Conference of State Legislature says this happens for, for these type of jungle primary amendments. There's nothing in the case law that says you can't look at all of that to determine what the chief purpose is. And I think that's only fair. The chief purpose isn't a single objective item. It's the, 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 the whole uh, universe coming in to find out what the core purpose here is. And the core purpose here is to abolish primary elections, and that is not disclosed. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Chief Justice, Justices, may it please the court. I'm Glenn Burhans, appearing on behalf of the sponsor, All Voters Vote, Inc., and if nothing else, at least All Voters Vote is united, the Republicans and Democrats, in common cause, and perhaps there's hope for the Republic after all. Um, so I'm happy about that. Unfortunately, the common cause they're united in is to perpetuate a primary system that disenfranchises nearly 3.7 million registered Florida voters merely because they haven't joined a political party. Could you, could you answer the question about whether the substance of the amendment would prohibit the legislature from having a state-sponsored election to pick party nominees? Of course, Your Honor, and the answer is nothing in the amendment prohibits the legislature from doing that. Now, and so what, would what about the sentence that says a single primary election shall be held for each office? Well, that's under the all voters vote primary. Now what will happen is whatever process is devised by the legislature or the parties, and they can call it whatever they want, but the, the net effect is that any candidate nominated from that process will have to run through the all voters vote primary. Now, we're not really here to determine what the possible effects might be down the road, depending well, on what the legislature might do. We, in, order to do. in order to know whether it's a valid summary, we need to know what the proposal itself means. And it seems like if you're, it's important in terms of what would need to be disclosed. If you're gonna take away an authority that the, that the legislature currently has and that people have an expectation that there are gonna be these public nominating elections, if the amendment took away that authority or that right on the authority of the legislature slash right of voters, it seems like that's something that we would need to know whether the amendment does that in order to evaluate the summary. I completely agree. And the amendment does not take away that ability. It actually preserves the ability of the legislature to act in that space, as it must for a couple of reasons. Now, number one, as a matter of U.S. constitutional law under the First Amendment, political parties have a First Amendment associational right. They can freely associate. They can determine who they nominate, when they nominate candidates, how they nominate <coughs> candidates, that can determine who participates in that process. So this amendment does not, and it cannot, affect that. So, the when, other thing, so when it says a single primary election will be held, as long as the legislature doesn't label this pre, 
single primary election, a primary, then that's okay? Well, that may be. Uh, we leave it to the legislature to determine the best policy implementation of that. So long as they stay within the, the, the bounds of this amendment, if it's adopted, then that's fine. We're not here to, for the amendment purposes, to micromanage implementation by the legislature. We're no, but I'm asking you a question about the scope of their authority. Yes. Not, I'm not asking you to predict what they would do. Right. I'm trying to understand what options they would have remaining i mean right now the legislature obviously has the authority to set up these elections and they've done so they're not required to they could say parties you pick your people and then we'll figure out the ballot later but they've we've chosen in florida to have these state-sponsored elections to pick nominees it seems like the main argument on the other side is that that goes away and so i'm trying to understand your view of the substance of the text itself of the proposal does the legislature still have that authority going forward if this were to pass? It does, absolutely. This so, for example, the, the legislature could have a new statute and take what exists, exists now for primaries and call it pre-primary or party nomination election or whatever name they choose to call it, and the Republicans could have their primary and the Democrats could have theirs, still have the election process just like we have it now with a uh, party nominated candidate coming out of there that would then go into a subsequent primary and that would be okay under the proposed amendment yes it would your honor okay. absolutely now i have to say I, I scratched my head a little bit listening to some of the arguments by the opponents with respect to ballot language because a reasonable voter looking at this language in the ballot uh, booth is going to know exactly what they're being asked to decide. We could start with the very first sentence. <clears throat> Allows all registered voters to vote for primaries for state legislature, governor, and cabinet. Clear as day. The very next well, sentence. But it's not clear in con I mean, you have to admit, to the extent that there's clarity in the summary, it's only by reading the two sentences together. The first sentence standing alone, I think, would mean open primaries in the sense of the status quo primary except everybody can vote in whichever one they want. Of course, Your Honor, and you anticipated my next point, and also you highlight what this court's jurisprudence has been consistently addressing the subject, that we review, we read the ballot title and summary together in their entirety. So I, I, I readily agree. That first sentence alone doesn't tell the whole story, but when you read the whole thing together, it tells a clear story. So for example, with respect to how the process will work. Once all voters can vote regardless of party affiliation, candidates qualifying for the office, including those nominated in that other separate process right. by the parties, if it exists, appear on the same ballot. But isn't the problem that you, none of us really know how it's gonna work in the sense that we have a status quo where everybody who's a member of a party gets to go to these state-sponsored elections and pick their candidate. And going forward, yes, we understand from the text and from the summary that there will be this all-candidate slash all-voter primary, but as far as a core thing that everybody has lived with in Florida for decades, none of us have any idea what is going to happen with that. And I'm not sure whether legally there's any, there, I mean, there's nothing that would stop you from putting something like this in terms of substantively on the ballot, but as far as explaining the consequences affect all the stuff that our case law talks about making an informed choice. The summary doesn't tell you what, how the status quo is going to be changed because we don't know how it's going to be changed, right? Well, Your Honor, I disagree. I think it 
says very clearly how the status quo is going to change. You don't know how people, how the parties are going to nominate people, if at all. We, you couldn't. Well, know. that's correct. Well, and that's a huge. We, I mean, well, that's a core. That's a huge core aspect of the way we do things now. Your Honor, I'm going to respectfully push back on that, and here's why. You just we could look at some of the cases that this court ha has handed down. For example, in prohibiting public financing, the argument, the, the opponents raised a whole host of arguments as to what wasn't included. Um, and that it was effectively invalidating statutory law and not necessarily telling you what might take its place. Or, for example, same thing in limited casinos. The purpose of the ballot title and summary is not to identify every conceivable potential outcome. As a matter of fact, that's in the Gross v. v. Firestone case where the court said that the ballot title and summary need not provide an exhaustive explanation reflecting the opponent's interpretation of the amendment and its possible future effects, we have to talk about the chief purpose. Now, the chief purpose here is quite clearly disclosed, allowing all voters to vote in the designated offices regardless of their party affiliation, having all candidates that qualify for the office on the same ballot, and then as a consequence, the top two advance to the general election. So, so would the chief be, purpose would it is would be disclosed. material, though, to a, to a given the status quo, which I think our case law makes it clear that the, you, we, do, we have, whether we should or not, we have taken into, into consideration the status quo and how the amendment would change the status quo. Well, would, it be, would it be material to a typical voter in Florida to know whether they will in the future be able to vote in elections to choose a party's nominee? Well, here's how we address the status quo. On the one hand, but can you ask? Can you answer that question? Would it be? Would that be a material issue to a typical voter who's a member of a party? Which, when you add them together, it's still the majority of voters. I right? think it's material for them to know what the change is, and that there may be something else that is that is devised by the legislature or the parties so in the this, future. Does this? Would it be material to a voter to know that they are no longer going to have? the right that they have under Florida law to vote for their party's nominee well, they to choose that. that person. I think it is important. I think they know that by How this text. How would they know that? Because well, for, you're putting, because of this including party nominated candidates? I mean, how, how would, where in the summary does it tell the voter that they're losing that quote unquote right? Well, let's start with, with basic premise, which is this is a constitutional amendment we are affecting some change. It is by definition changing the status quo, which is the closed party primary. So. I think it's reasonable for us to presume that voters would understand that that's what the status quo is. Now, with respect to the clause of, of including party-nominated candidates, we have to read the whole summary in total. So we talk about all voters voting in this primary. That's something new. All candidates appearing on the same ballot. That's something new. The clause, including party-nominated candidates, is signaling to voters that there may be some ability or some other process where party-nominated candidates will be selected. Now, we can't predict the future. We don't know, and there's, this amendment cannot tell the parties nor the legislature how to create those other nominating contests in the future because, number one, that probably makes a single subject violation by getting into what the legislature does as well as changing these primaries, but it also would, it could potentially implicate the party's First Amendment associational rights that I talked about earlier. Let's go back to my um, question earlier about the, the process that could be created by the legislature, similar to what exists now before the actual primary so that you actually then have a party-nominated candidate, right, coming into the primary? Yes. If they did that, and that were the case, wouldn't the primary 
under the new constitutional amendment start to look like the current general election? Uh, your question was, would it look like the current general election? If, if we had a pre-process by the parties to nominate its candidates, and then those candidates come into the primary under the proposed constitutional amendment, wouldn't that process or the new primary look pretty much exactly like what a general election looks like now after the primary? I, I think that's a fair characterization because you'd have party nominated candidates, you'd have candidates that just qualified that aren't nominated by a party, you'd have write-in candidates, NPAs for example. So that's, I'm not sure then, the, if, it, if that happens, the purpose, maybe the purpose of the proposed constitutional amendment would not be served or not achieved? Well, no, I think it would because what we're saying is to get to the general election, we want the greatest participation by all the voters to participate regardless of, of their party affiliation. So this is kind of the gatekeeper election to the general election, which, of course, the, the top two would advance to, and then you have a majority winner in that scenario. Well, I just wanted to make sure, even with that outcome, that you still perceive that that is within the boundaries of the proposed constitutional amendment. I think that is a system, yes, that the legislature could devise that system. Okay. Yes, they have that flexibility, Your Honor. So the sentence that says a single primary election shall be held, that's just basically then a labeling exercise. Well, as long as they didn't, as long as the legislature didn't call this for this pre-primary thing a primary election, that would be okay. Well, that is as long as they didn't do anything that would somehow impact the ability of all voters to vote in the new primary in this second what would it under justice polston scenario would be the i mean under Ju justin's he's talking about a three election system essentially so right. as long as everybody gets to vote in the in that second election that's okay yes and by the way that's not dissimilar to what florida has had in the past so it sounds like the way you're describing this thing the summary maybe should have had a sentence in there that said you know there may or may not be party nominees in the future and if there will be, you, the voter, may or may not have the right to vote in those elections. Well, if there, we, there may or may not be nominees, there may or may not be elections to choose them, and if there are elections, you may or may not have the right to vote in them. I mean, would that kind of sentence change the tenor of the summary in a way that would be material to the voter? I don't know that it's any more or less material to the voter, but I recognize that we are operating within a 75-word limit, and there's only so much that you can do, and that's why we look to whether it discloses the chief purpose, and we don't cogitate every single possible potential outcome or effect, so long as that chief purpose is, is noted. Um, I do concede, is, are there better ways that this language uh, could have been drafted? Sure, I'm sure better minds than... than by the way, I drafted it, so maybe there are better minds that could have done a better job, but that's not really the issue here. The issue is not perfection. There is no such thing as perfection in this process. As a matter of fact, this court recognized that in, um, in the right to treatment and rehab case, which stated, although perfectly drafted summary might mention this self-effectuating provision or substitute Justice Munoz, your language, imperfection is not necessarily fatal given the 75-word statutory maximum. Well, I'm not really, I mean, I'm, my question doesn't really assume that it's, a, I'm not characterizing it as an imperfection. What I'm asking is whether that's important enough, if, if it's a material enough issue that it should have been more clearly, or act, I, more clearly is probably wrong, to just, should have, have been disclosed at all to the voter. 
Well, I, I think it is disclosed in the matter that I've said a few times now. When you take the entire summary in its context, it's clear that all voters are voting in this new election. We're going to have all candidates on the same ballot, including those that are party nominated. As a matter of reading the plain language and as a matter of logic, that process has to come before and separate from the all voters vote primary. I think that's clearly stated to the voter. But it's not, there's nothing that tells the voter about the uncertainty as to what the, what their rights, what their state's authority, what their role in that might be. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the main issue dividing the two sides. Well, I understand that's their argument, but that's not what the law requires here. And I don't know how you, once you start going down the road of, of, di of trying to disclose all these unknown or unknowable things, uh, I think you get to a slippery slope where... So wh how, how do you, what's your, what's your take on the meaning of the phrase chief purpose and how we're supposed to objectively, in, in all of our cases, how are we supposed to give meaning to that? How is someone supposed to look at a, a proposed initiative and figure out objectively what the chief purpose is? Well, I'd like to take the easy way out and say, uh, I'll give you my Potter Stewart quote, which would be, you know it when you see it, but you're not looking for that. No, so. and that's totally unacceptable, right? I mean, I'm not criticizing you, but that would be, I mean, that's one of the problems with this whole area of the law is that it does lend itself to subjectively each person deciding what would my ideal voter need to know about this in order to make a quote-unquote informed choice. And there is language like that in our case law, right? So if That's we want correct. to get away from that, how do we objectively figure out what the chief purpose of a, of a proposal is? Well, I don't know that I could give you a, a, a bright line, except that we look at the plain text of the summary, um, and we compare it to see that it accurately reflects what the amendment does. And here, in this particular case, I think we do that. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it says all voters vote in these designated elections, regardless of party affiliation. All candidates appear on the ballot, including party nominated, the top to advance, and so on and so forth. So that is the chief purpose. You are opening up elections to voters who are currently prohibited from participating in them. And then we are describing the process by which candidates appear on a ballot and what happens as a result of that. So you know what, when you see it, I guess, is, is, is my, well, my answer. Yeah, is it, isn't it an important part of our case law that we employ a deferential standard. That is, that we don't knock things off the ballot um, um, unless they're clearly and conclusively defective. Well, you're absolutely right. In the, in the summary being, um, and so it's like if, if, if when there are some ambiguities or some uncertainties, that's, uh, we, we frequently go back to that standard of clearly and conclusively defective. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. And as Your Honor noted, um, I think it was in the medical marijuana one case that the right we're talking about, the right for voters to decide upon amending our Constitution is very important. It's fundamental. Case law talks about this being a sacred area of the law that this court passes upon. And yes, the clearly and conclusively defective standard is important. And here's why. 11 months from now, nearly 10 million Floridians are going to vote, the most in our history ever. And for an amendment to get adopted, it's going to require approximately 6 million Floridians to vote. And I think unless that amendment is shown to be clearly and conclusively defective and, and materially misleading, 
We need to be very reluctant before we take that vote out of the hands of six million Floridians. But that whole, the clearly inconclusively and the clearly misleading only, that only makes sense in relation to the baseline as to what needs to be known by the voter. And it seems like your amendment puts arguably two choices in front of people. One is whether to have this primary, and the other is whether to potentially fundamentally change how parties' nominees are chosen. And it seems like the summary covers the first thing, but it really doesn't tell the voter anything about the second thing. And so if, if one were to conclude that that is one of the fundamental choices before the voter, and then apply a, is it clearly and conclusively defective in relation to disclosing that choice, one would potentially conclude that that is just not disclosed at all. Well, Your Honor, I respectfully, I disagree. The chief purpose here is to allow all voters to vote in these primaries that they're currently being blocked from voting in. Now, that change is made known to the voters, and the voters know that there can be some other process, but we can't know what that is because the amendment doesn't address it. The amendment, the but summary the, can't the, address the, something that the amendment doesn't provide for. Right, but when you just said the primaries that they're currently blocked from voting in, you're not giving people access to those primaries. You're creating an entirely new system, and you're essentially, right now, those primaries exist to choose party nominees. You're basically Correct. saying we're not going to worry about choosing party nominees anymore, and instead we're going to have this thing. And arguably, that's a major change from the status quo in terms of the choice of party nominees that is not disclosed in the summary. Well, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm being picky or getting into semantics, but the important thing here is change. Change is going to be that all voters are going to vote and that all candidates are going to appear on the ballot, including the party nominated. Now, Yes, what that party nomination process might look like if it comes into being is unknown. So I don't know how we can describe what is unknown at this point because it hasn't been determined. Now, it may be the very same thing, just called maybe a slightly different name as Justice Polson decided, but we, we can't possibly address that in the amendment for the reasons that I noted, and I, we can't possibly address something in the summary that isn't part of the amendment. I see my time is up. Well, I'm, I'll give you another minute or two since the other side. Well, okay. If you want to sum up in a minute or two. But I, I do, thank you, Your Honor. So this is all about the plain language of the amendment, uh, the, the, the ballot summary. Um, it clearly describes what that change is going to be. Yes, there is big change. Voters are asked to change the primary system as we currently know it. Okay, fine. But they're told how that's going to happen. All voters will vote regardless of party affiliation. The candidates will appear on that ballot, including party-nominated candidates, if we have them in the future. Um, and that's left to the legislature. And then the, the rest of the process is laid out. The top two advance. Um, if somebody's party affiliation, um, it notes that party affiliation can be designated on the ballot. And that's, again, left to the discretion of the legislature to determine how best to do that. Now, very quickly, the difference between nomination and endorsement they are definite, distinct terms. Nomination is its plain language, and as it means under the law, which is the party's standard bearer, standard bearer for the election, who we are choosing for that race. Now, an endorsement is just another version of support that can be you know, done in whatever 
method that the party deems best. That's why we leave those issues to the legislature and the party to determine, because they are the stakeholders there. They're in the best position to determine what nomenclature best suits their purposes and how that should be put on the ballot. So, thank you. May it please the court. I want to go back to the issue of party nominations, and I think uh, it was Justice Polson's question that said, well, if we, the legislature created a pre-primary process, which is what you called, then wouldn't this new all voters vote just look like the general election? And I believe the answer was yes, uh, but that is not the case based on the text of the amendment. The text of the amendment says that all qualified candidates will appear on this ballot. So that, what that means is that if we had a pre-primary process, and the Republican Party got together, the Democratic Party got together, and they chose their nominee. That is not going to be necessarily the only Democrat or the only Republican on the general or on the, this new primary election ballot because it says all qualified candidates will appear on the ballot. However, the summary doesn't say that. The summary doesn't say all qualified candidates. The summary says all candidates, including party-nominated candidates. And that is why we believe this is fundamentally misleading and should be stricken from the ballot. But why would the, if you did have this pre-primary election, which produced nominees, and if the legislature said that the only party affiliations that could appear on the ballot for this primary created by the amendment would be the party nominees, why would the parties care whether other people who qualified happen to be members of particular parties if that's not on the ballot? Because the parties have an interest in ensuring that their standard bearer, when, when they go through the party nomination process and they're vetting all the candidates and they're winnowing down a list and they choose one candidate to represent the party's ideals, to represent the party's beliefs, they have an interest in ensuring that that candidate is the sole candidate representing their party on the ballot. And what they're doing here is engaging in wordsmithing by essentially trying to, to, to send a message by putting that word in party nominated candidates on the ballot to every party affiliate, 9.8 million of them in the state, that somehow these party members will still be able to participate in the nomination process and in the primary election process just as they had for the past 100 years. And that's why we fundamentally believe it's uh, misleading. Thank you. All right. We thank you all for your arguments.